Welcome back to the DSO Decision. I am your host, Brian Hanks, joined by my trusty co-host, David Cohen. David, hello. How's it going? I am doing very well, and we are recording end of October, beginning of November uh, 2023. We're talking DSOs, and this is episode 15. Episodes 15 and 16, David, are going to be all about, uh, and I titled this very deliberately, the top 10 mistakes your buddy makes doing a DSO deal, uh, because every dentist is the smartest person on the planet and would never make any of these mistakes. But oftentimes, uh, the other dentist down the street is the one making these mistakes. So, uh, dear listener, we know that you aren't the dentist that would ever make these mistakes. Therefore, uh, the title of the episode is um, Top 10 Mistakes Your Friend is Going to Make. <laughs> so, <laughs> when, once you watch your friend make these mistakes, uh, you know, first, uh, you know, if you're out golfing with them and, uh, you know, you're taking a class, whatever it is, maybe send if, be nice. Send them the episode ahead of time if you see the mistake coming. If you want to gloat a little bit and you watch them make the mistake and you're on the golf course after they did their deal, sure, go ahead and send this to them and uh, you know do your victory dance uh, while you you mock them mercilessly. Only kidding, of course. Um, please don't do that. That's really mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, David, you were you and I were talking before we hit record about uh, the title of this episode, and it's. These are mistakes and they're really, you know, another potential title for the episode could have been top 10 things we want dentists to pay the closest attention to as they do their DSO deal. These are these are the greatest hits. You know, this is uh, Aerosmith after 30 albums. They put out a two two CD, you know, set with the greatest hits. This is the this is these are the two podcasts with the greatest hits. And then after this, we'll take some uh, common questions. We'll get some Q&A from listeners and and we'll come back and record some more. Uh, so with that in mind, David, let's talk about a uh, mistake number one. Um, and uh, I think people are going to get tired of hearing this, but honestly, this is the mistake you and I see the most often. What is it and how do you avoid it? Yeah, the number one mistake that that I see is uh, a dentist failing to hire a team. And, you know, I've seen some dentists not hire any team whatsoever to sell to a DSO. I've seen some dentists hire, you know, the attorney, but then... They don't want them to do, you know, maybe the real estate side of their deal, or they hire the attorney and but they don't want to hire a CPA um, as a hired gun to come in and evaluate the deal for them um, and so forth. So, you know, those are just obviously a couple of examples, but um, failing to hire, to hire a team is a huge mistake. Um, first and foremost, for most of our doctors that sell to DSOs, this is the biggest transaction of their entire life. And it is, you know, the culmination of all their entire life's work and some of them 30, 40 years. And, you know, for them to not want to hire a team to help them doesn't make any sense to me. And the number one reason why doctors don't hire a team is the expense, which also doesn't make sense to me because, you know, in my opinion, and I feel strongly about this, I mean, you want to invest. If there's one thing to invest in, it's invest in the biggest transaction of your life. Um, and so I, I do see this as a, as a huge, a huge failure. And there, and there are consequences. Um, you know, if you don't hire a team, then, you know, everything can happen, such as you, um, making a mistake on, um, you know, how the, financial elements are lined up in your deal. Um, you know, maybe you're wanting to retire and, um, you know, your 
the, the financial plan doesn't work based on the economics of the way the deal is set up. I mean, that's just kind of like one example, but I'm sure we'll we'll dive into all that. I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but hiring a team is critical, and that's the number one uh, mistake. Question, no question, and and it is harder to write a check than to uh, know that you could have gotten a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million dollars more out of a DSO had you hired the team, and so it's that. You know, the sin of omission rather than the sin of commission of writing a check feels more painful than, you know, not knowing that you lost out on a million dollars that you could have had uh, had you negotiated better with the DSO. But let, let me just push back a little bit, David. Our, our clients and I joked about the title of the episode being your friend and, and how every dentist lives in Lake Wobegon. They're the smartest, best drivers, you know, best looking people on the planet. And, and by the way, so are you and I. <laughs> so, <laughs> listeners, uh, we're 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 afflicted with the same uh, uh, malady you are. But um, dentists, I know dentists are dumb, right? And so I know what when they don't hire a team, what trips them up? Are they finding contracts online? Are they assuming their generalist uh, lawyer buddy down the road can help them out? Like. What do you see as the most common pitfall that causes the dentist beyond just, I don't want to write a check? Like where, where are they kind of, what's the half measure? Because these dentists are dumb. I think the number one uh, reason is that doctors hear that the deals aren't negotiable. And so they say, okay, well, if it's not negotiable, why, why would I spend money on hiring, for instance, an attorney, right? Well, I, I think the issues are as follows with that. Number one, I wouldn't say that any deal is not negotiable at all. Um, certainly what all the listeners out there need to know are uh, DSO deals are less negotiable typically than a private sale deal, but it doesn't mean that they're not negotiable at all. And some DSOs are extraordinarily flexible and, um, and are willing to negotiate. Some are very rigid and not willing to negotiate much, but we've never done a deal where zero can be negotiated. Number two, even if nothing could be negotiated, you absolutely want to understand your deal and what you're getting into because you still don't have to do your deal if it doesn't say what you want it to say. I'm not going to throw this DSO under the bus and by name, but there's this particular DSO out there that's probably the least willing to negotiate of all. And for instance, um, you know, there's a an earnout situation with their deals where the doctor, you know, for each year that they're there, they could potentially get an earnout, yet they're not willing to guarantee that the doctor be even employed for that entire period of time. And thus the doctor risks by signing the document that they just have to sort of like trust the DSO that they're going to remain employed, even if the doctor is counting on that income. Um, or I guess it may not be considered income if it's an earnout, but you know, counting on that money. Um, to, to, you know, as part of the deal to make it work for them. So, you know, that then the doctor might say, well, if the, the deal doesn't work for me financially, if I'm not guaranteed certain monies, um, if I hit the numbers, which I'm confident I'll hit, then I can't do this deal. Right. So even if it couldn't be negotiated, that's an example of where you still might not, you, you want to know what you're getting into because you may not want to do the deal. Or sometimes it's just, even if you're going to do the deal, it's at least great to know and not be completely blindsided and, you know, totally thrown off if something happens that isn't the way that you thought it would go. So I think that's my response to that. But that's it, the number one. It makes issue. a lot of sense. I, a lot of credibility sitting across that steak dinner. The, the DSO owners there, maybe they're partners and they've got the lawyer at the table and the lawyer says it's a take it or leave it deal. 
you know, these are the numbers. We're going to make you rich, but you got to sign on the dotted line. And what your response is, is A, it's always negotiable, even when they have a reputation of being, you know, tough to negotiate with. But then B, uh, this is why you hire a team. This is why. And so to me, as the CPA, what I tell my clients is if you have to, if it really is coming down to cash in the bank, you can only afford to hire one. I always say hire the attorney. It's not a question, right? I'd love to be on the deal. I'd love to be part of the team, but the attorney is a must, right? And the, the number one question I would ask my potential attorney is, have you dealt with this DSO before, right? And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of even dental attorneys won't be able to say yes. Right. So hire a qualified team. Okay. Let's go to number two, David. The number two, uh, is not understanding subordination. First of all, remind us what is subordination and why do I need to understand it? So subordination is an element of a DSO deal where the DSO, um, has certain lender requirements and the DSO comes to the client and says, or client, they come to the buyer, or sorry, rather, they come to the seller and say, hey, seller, here's this document that you have to sign. And the document is saying that your interest in X, Y, and Z um, typically would be the earn out or the hold back in the deal um, that we've talked about on previous uh, episodes are going to be subordinate to the interest of the lender for the DSO, meaning that if the lender is owed money from the DSO, they get paid first before you as the, the seller in the deal. So even if the DSO owes you certain monies, a hold back and or earn out, you still may not get them if there's an issue with the lender and the DSO and they get into trouble and they owe the lender money, et cetera. I have a friend of a friend who um, knows a contractor that digs pools. And this contractor takes a healthy chunk up front. It's like 80% up front, 20% when the deal's done or when the pool is finished and has water in it and kids are playing in it. And uh, I think he had like 10 jobs going or something and zero of the 10, yeah, got in a car accident. There was a, a tragic situation. It wasn't that this was a bad person, but um, had collected all the money. Money went to medical bills, finally filed bankruptcy and no pools were finished. In fact, there were a lot of half dug holes in people's backyards. And um, what I hear you saying is these dentists need to remember that when you do a DSO deal and the DSO says, okay, dent uh, doctor, your practice is worth $3 million and we're going to pay you 1.5 right now or two right now or 2.25 or whatever the number is. And we're still going to owe you some money down the road if the lender falls, the DSO gets in trouble. Some other dentist creates an issue with the, the DSO that creates then an issue for the brand or whatever. If the DSO runs into issue, they're going to be a lot like the homeowners with a half dug pool in their backyard. Yes, someone owes them a finished pool, but the person that owes them the finished pool can't deliver. And so what I hear you saying is, I'm, I'm, I'm inferring something here, David, check me. I hear you saying, there's not a lot you can do about this, but you need to go in eyes open. Is that right? Can dentists like not be subordinate to the lenders? Um, I think that it's probably unlikely that the doctors would ever um, not be subordinate to the third party lender. I think there are small areas where they might, like for instance, the holdback, the doctor might be able to argue with the DSO that the holdback's money they've already earned. They just haven't been 
paid it until, you know, the, the DSO makes sure that um, there's nothing, you know, there's no liabilities that are hanging out there. Right. And so I, I have been successful in some deals, at least being able to exclude the holdback. But the earnout typically is always um, there's always subordinate subordination element. In addition, from an equity standpoint, if there's a default by the DSO on their third party lending, typically your equity as a doctor is going to be collateralized like in any type of loan. And I wouldn't call this like a subordination per se, but it's kind of along the same lines. Whereas you could lose your equity if the DSO defaults on their loan with their third party um, lender. Your, your practice is worth three. We're going to pay you two today. Oops, went out of bankruptcy six months later. Yes, you own stock in this DSO now that is bankrupt and your stock is worth nothing. Yeah. Right. Or the, or the lender, you know, yeah, exactly. But, but I would also, to answer your question more directly, I would say that's something that you're never going to be able to negotiate um, ever. So it's, uh, it really is, the mistake is counting uh, the chickens before they're hatched, you use the phrase, right? It's uh, to go buy the $3 million private jet. I, if, if, can you buy a private jet for three million? Probably not. But anyway, Probably not. Yeah, but, but assume, well, I've got two today. I'm going to have a million down the road for sure. And that's not necessarily the case. So the mistake here is just forgetting that there is risk in the deal. Okay. Forgetting that there's risk in the deal. And when you're underwriting your own deal as you're, with your own financial plan as to whether or not you're going to do this DSO deal or not, and you're looking in the future as to what this means for you financially, you have to understand that there's risk involved with that. Also, you to, to un, there's a huge, a huge benefit to understanding what you're getting into and what your deal is. You know, I, I, for you to understand going into it that that's the case, and there's a default by the DSO with the lender, and then they foreclose on your stock, that's going to be upsetting no matter what. But at least you understood that that was a risk as opposed to flying off the handle, not getting it, you know, having a huge stressful week, blood pressure going up, all that kind of stuff, you know, trying to track down attorneys and whoever else was involved in the deal and figure out what's going on and, you know, wanting to sue people, you know, that's, there's, there's a value to just understanding your deal. Yeah. Mistake number three that your dentist buddy down the road might make has to do with employment. So, David, the, uh, the deal with the devil, with the DSO, and, and I'm using that term, I'm not implying anything, DSO is listening, but the deal with the devil is you give up, you get big money and you've got to give up something. So what, what are dentists giving up and how are they missing this with it, when it comes to employment? Yeah, I think what, what dentists are giving up is control. And every dentist wants to control their practice, but they have to understand that when you sell, you relinquish control, especially when you sell a controlling interest, which all DSOs take at a minimum of controlling interest, even in a joint venture deal. But um, not my so, guy, David. We were at the steak dinner and he said, I can retain full control over the decisions and who gets hired and fired. So not me, not my deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the one thing that the DSOs can't interfere with is your clinical judgment and the clinical control, but they, but all business control is going to be in the hands of the DSO, no matter what, uh, no matter what you hear. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. If you, as a doctor, if you paid $5 million for something, you would want control too, right? So there's nothing wrong with that, but you have to understand that. And you also have to understand that while it's exciting to get a bunch of money for your deal, don't forget about the employment agreement because 
the last thing you want is to not be able to operate how you did before as far as you know if you worked four days a week you don't want to start working six um you know and just to make sure that you understand what's your employment agreement and that it's at least on par with what you were doing before as far as vacation is concerned work schedule um you know the number of years that you want and need to work after the closing and so forth okay so i hear you kind of saying uh number three biggest mistake is i cash my giant happy gilmore sized check and we had a conversation where they told, oh, sure, sure, sure. You can continue working Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And then uh, forgetting to actually read the document where it says, actually, we might start making you work on Fridays. And actually, we might start getting you in at 7 a.m. And actually, you know, remember those six weeks of vacation you took last year? It's actually going to cut down to two. And um, so you're saying read the employment agreement. Right. And the number one thing that I'm seeing time and time again is with doctors who want to retire, and really are supposed to be winding down their schedule after, let's say, two or three years, but it's a five-year agreement. And the DSO tells the doctor, yeah, we'll let you do that, no problem. But then the document doesn't say that you can do that. So even though in good faith that it probably happened, technically, they could work you like crazy for the whole you know, five-year term of the employment. So that's the number one sort of scenario that we're seeing. Cool. Now, number four also has to do with employment. And that's an assumption that I, as the seller, have a guaranteed job. Why is that a bad assumption? Why could that be a mistake? Uh, it's a mistake because many um, deals that we see, the employment agreement comes over and says that the um, DSO can terminate employment whenever they want. With you know, Usually, there's a certain notice period, uh, maybe 60 days or 90 days. But typically, the, the DSO, can you'll see that they can terminate whenever they want. And so that's something that needs to get negotiated in the deal. And particularly because it could trigger other adverse uh, sort of, you know, effects um, moving forward. Like like what? Okay, so um, I trust these guys. They seem like good people. There's a termination thing in there that says, you know, if I have a felony or if I show up to work drunk or something like they can fire me, that's not going to happen to me. Um, but it, what I hear you saying is there might be a clause in there that says, okay, we can give you 60 days notice, 90 days notice and fire you. And that then then what does the dentist lose out on? Are they losing? Yeah, out? number of issues. You know, well, I will say this. We get the occasional dentist who says, I don't want to work at all anymore. They're making me. I would love it if they terminate me ah, immediately. Right. right. But 95 percent of the time, what they miss out on is, number one, miss out on employment, because if the doctor is expecting to be employed, and they're not, then they don't, they're not employed and they don't have the income and they don't get to be part of the practice, which a lot of them want to be. Um, number two, oftentimes they'll, they could lose the earnout upon termination of employment. Sometimes they'll lose the opportunity for the earnout. And even if they don't lose the opportunity for the earnout, if it's somebody else that comes in instead of them and that has to meet the production goals for the earnout to be met, the doctor doesn't control their own destiny to, to achieve the earnout. So. They could lose the earnout or or just lose the opportunity to control their own destiny for them to be doing the work to get the earnout. They yeah. also could lose holdback money for indemnity purposes, and they also could lose their stock. Usually it triggers a repurchase of the stock. Usually that repurchases at fair market value. But there is one DSO that we were just on a deal with where um, the doctor essentially lost the stock, which didn't make any sense and we had to negotiate. So, those are the main things that you could see losing um, upon termination of employment. Now, I'm not here to say this is the case in every deal, 
Um, I'm not trying to make DSOs out there to, you know, look like the bad guy. I mean, they have to protect themselves in a lot of respects. And, but you also have to protect yourself as a doctor and know what you're doing going into these talking deals. To doctors here. And, and if we had a DSO kind of focused podcast, there'd be another version of this conversation, but I'm sure David, and you confirm for me if maybe you've seen this personally, but doctor says they have to work for five years after five years, it triggers a bunch of payouts. And uh, 91 days before the five years is up, somebody gives them a 90 day notice. And so they've worked for almost almost the entire time and they miss out on some DSO somewhere has had to try at least tried that. Have you ever seen that? Um, I have not seen that been I have not seen that happen deliberately, but I obviously have seen scenarios and contracts where the DSO is able to do that. Got it. Okay. I mean, technically, if the document says they can terminate whenever you want, they could do your deal. I've never seen this happen, but technically they could um, do your deal the next day, terminate your employment. Boom. Now that all that, you know, all the economics of the deal that were supposed to follow with the earnouts and holdbacks and all that are now gone. And they just sort of like got away with paying you up front and nothing else. Now, that wouldn't make any sense for the DSO because they need you going forward. But I'm just saying, you know, these are the exposures that you'll have. All right. Number five um, is not reviewing the representations and warranties. If I remember right, I started falling asleep in this podcast when we talked about reps and warranties. Right, you're telling me, and that's that's not literally true, but <laughs> this is uh, why lawyers get paid. First of all, remind remind us what reps and warranties are, and then like how many are you going to see in a deal, and why is it so easy to skip over these? So representations and warranties are promises that the seller is making to the buyer about the practice and about the deal, and from a standpoint of how many of them we see. In I would just in comparison, in a private deal, you'll probably have somewhere between 10 to 20 of those. In a DSO deal, you'll often have um, you know, at least 20, I would say. Some I mean, we've seen 60 before 40, 60, um, yeah. in, in deals. So there's quite a bit more typically. Okay, so this is like 40 pages of legal ease, and so it's easy to skip over. But right. is that a mistake? My my lawyers reviewed it. What's the right. big it's a mistake because, as I said, you know, as far as de- defining what reps and warranties are, it's a promise that you're making to the DSO. So if you're not reviewing these, it's quite possible, particularly because there are so many of these, that it's almost like for sure something is probably not going to be true. Um, it's possible that you're promising something that isn't true, that isn't happening. Um, you know, you've never had a lawsuit. You never had a board action against you. You know, for many of our doctors, that's true. But occasionally we get doctors where it is true, even if it's a bogus claim or you defended yourself and it was thrown out. You still need to disclose that a lot of the time. And doctors, you know, without doing so, you're actually creating exposure for yourself because later on, if things aren't going well, that's what you're going to get sued for. The the DSO is going to come after you and say, you didn't disclose to them that there was a um, that there was a board claim. You know, yeah. now typically, you just to get you know super legal real quick. I mean, typically there have to be a loss to be able to yeah. successfully sue someone, and that's a whole other story. But the point I'm trying to make is that there are things that you could be promising that are not true, and that's where you can get nailed later um, if the DSO w- did want to come after you if there was some sort of lawsuit. I was reading a story in the Wall Street Journal about lawyers. Uh, these are mergers and acquisitions of lawyers in Germany. And in Germany, when right, right before they're going to sign the signature page of the document, whichever CEO or whoever, 
the lawyers all have to get together in a room on the deal uh, from from one side. Okay, so like one company's lawyers will all get in a room, and it's standard practice to read the document out loud. Like if it's a 140 page document, they're they're taking turns paragraph by paragraph, and the reason they do that it's not standard practice in New York. And the funny story in the Wall Street Journal was. You know, somebody didn't read the version and, and somebody signed the wrong signature page of the wrong version of the document that didn't have the right red line on it. And, and right. anyway, so uh, dentists, like if if your mergers and acquisitions, white shoe law firm in New York City on Wall Street are making that, that mistake, don't the same can happen to you. And we're just saying biggest mistake. One of the 10 biggest mistakes you can make is to not read the reps and warranties. So correct. Uh, Verifying with your attorney. Okay. Well, David, this and, is and just the default. One quick other, uh, whether one other thing to that is these are things that there's no way for the attorney to know right. necessarily. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it is up to you as a doc. Like the majority of your deal, it's, the attorney is going to know as far as re- reviewing the legal docs, but this is probably the one area where like they don't have any way to know. They don't know if you've hired or fired employees in the last six months and you're warranting in the agreement that you haven't, right? Like that's an example. So I just want to emphasize. Yeah, and, and good attorney should probably ask, but if there's 60 of them, it, you know, maybe, you know, possibly it's forgotten or whatever anyway. Right. Yep. So ultimately uh, this is on the seller and they need to read the document. Okay. Right. And read them with your attorney, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like that's the best way to, to do it. Another reason to get a flat fee attorney, right? So right, exactly. <laughs> Um, so perfect. We'll do six through 10 with a bonus uh, in the next episode. Uh, thank you for um, joining me for episode 15, David. And thanks for being a part of the DSO decision. Thanks for having me. I love these. This is great. Great.